0: winds in the east mist coming in like something is brewing about to begin can't put me finger on what lies in store i'll feel what's to happen all happen before
1: So I wonder, how late can you go and still enjoy the game? I, you know, we did the experiment, the game I put on, the Arneson rules, I called it, where you guys played yourself, and um, we just rolled 2d6, and, and we assumed you had skills and whatever you said you had skills in, you know, off the idealized version of yourselves. And um, a high roll was good, and a low roll was bad. and And I think that worked okay for that one game ongoing game for that may or may not so i sent you a little present of a system that i think is about as light as i would go that i really like the only problem is there's a there is a a death spiral in that system i think you'll see that i i do think it's a playable system and, and has been successfully played many times by many people but i'm curious to think of the little present i what you think of the little present i sent you so take care
2: Epiphany, I make a part in about time too about not playing D&D. And it was free through all and I heard him say, he off my borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick cause you're incapable.
0: Thank you Mr TJ Drennan, welcome to Keep Off The Borderlands. My name's Spencer, aka Free Thrall, PDF Holder, RPG Player and Aspiring GM. So following my little uh, Chimney Sweeps ditty at the top of the show there was a message from Jason Connolly. Of Nerds RPG Variety Cast And thank you very much For that message Jason Also Thank you so much for the little Bundle of files you sent me Before I say any more about that I just wanted to say That I'm aware Jason Is uh, where he's got an awful Lot on his plate at the moment I don't necessarily want to get Into all that here But just that my thoughts are with you and your family, Jason, and wishing you all the best going forward. Back to the file that you sent me, the rules light game. I'd actually guessed what was in that file before I opened it because we have spoken about this in the past. That game is Rhesus, and it is a really nice little rules light game. And when we discussed this before was during Anchorite's Appreciate Arneson month. And I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. Now, Rhesus was in fact the first game I was involved in coming back to the hobby. And I actually played it over Rollgate. We played the Toast of the Town adventure written by S. John Ross, who designed Rhesus himself. And as I say, it's a wonderfully rules-like system that he created to playtest adventures he was writing. And there was a bit of a back and forth about this uh, between me and Jason. Jason uh, recommended really interesting interview that S. John Ross had done for the What Am I Rolling podcast. A really interesting guy, and I really appreciated his self-deprecating, frank and honest approach to design and Writing material So yeah, despite being Familiar with the system I was still grateful to receive that bundle You sent me Jason And it was just a nice Little reminder of uh, What a great system it is Um, The only criticism I would say Is that I don't feel it lends itself to Giving to a bunch of people Unfamiliar with RPGs I just, I feel that It's a little too free form you know it's just a little too open but i may be wrong that may just be a lack of imagination on my part complete beginners might be able to just get on with it straight away no problem at all so yeah but it was something i felt might be a problem for me having not played anything for so many years and it certainly didn't feel comfortable enough to run it however it was perfect for playing on Rollgate. And uh yeah, we had I had a lot of fun playing through that Toast of the Town adventure. As for using it as the basis for Ossius, that that was one of the things I did during uh, Anchorite's Appreciate Arneson month, which was an idea suggested by Ray Otis. And um yeah before I get into Design principles. I just want to give a shout out to the Adventuring Party podcast. I released an episode a few days ago entitled, But Why Is That the Rule?, which was a very interesting look at design principles in general and getting to grips with rules. It's a really interesting episode. And um, my design principle for Osseus was to see if I could create a game with as few rules as possible, fit that game onto a one sheet trifold, write it in a manner using very plain language where you didn't have to know any gaming jargon whatsoever. And in honor of Dave Arneson, I wanted everything to be a strictly 2D6 role. And uh, I feel I was quite successful. There's a few little things about it. I think I I would like to go back and change. But, um, yeah, I was pleased with the results there. And Rhesus was a huge inspiration for me there. In fact, in all honesty, what I'd done was I'd taken Rhesus and I'd converted it to a 2D6 system. That's essentially what happened. But it was, it was a nice exercise and, uh, yeah. I enjoyed putting it together. But thank you very much for that call, Jason. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to revisit that topic once again. Cheers.
3: Hey, Spencer. Enjoyed listening to your most recent episode. I enjoy the reports of those sessions that I've been involved with. Um, just on your thoughts on, yeah, the into the odd hack of Numenera. I mean, of course there is one. Um, because the setting is so full of creative potential. But actually, the rules system can be a bit of a barrier. I mean, when I, 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 I thought it would be a great setting to play with my kids. But they absolutely are not going to want to get to grips with the whole sort of resource management of the setting and the, and the crunch of their characters. So I actually did. I, I was raving about it uh, when I started off my podcast um, just over a year ago now. I did a Maze Rats hack for the ninth world. Yeah, Maze Rats in the ninth world. Because all you have to do, it's just ready to go. All you have to do is replace the terms in those D66 one-off spell generation tables with terms that are appropriate to generating ciphers. Anyway, at the time, I think it was a different. It was a different time in the anchor community. Nobody was much interested in Numenera, certainly, and nobody was particularly interested in in hacking the setting for a lighter rule set. Uh, but maybe I'll share those. Um, those rules on my Discord now because there might be some some interest in, in in seeing what I was trying to do there. But really, and I was quite proud of them. I did come up with, you know, the Maze Rats tables. I completely replaced those with terms and categories that would be appropriate to producing ciphers. Spent a bit of time on it. It's quite good fun. Anyway, cheers again. I'll catch you soon.
0: That was Dave Aldridge from D Percentile there. And thank you very much for those messages, Dave. Also, thank you so much for running all the wonderful games that I've been fortunate enough to be able to play in recently. I'm glad uh, you've enjoyed listening in. And that hack of Maze Rats sounds really great. And I would, yeah, I'd absolutely love to see what you've done with that. And yes, it does seem like a no brainer as far as creating a. lighter version of Numenera, yeah, certainly lends itself to that. And your message also had me wondering about, you know, whether the Anchorite community had changed an awful lot. Um, I guess in the main, people are still into what they're into. I think people are always trying other systems. I suppose I kind of came into that community as it was broadening out. And with that, it becomes a broader church. I guess we still sort of, uh, we hover around similar topics. And I'm sure I uh, discussed Numenera or my interests in it back then. I know, I seem to remember that um James Dunn of those fecking books was running it. or had certainly dabbled with the system, I seem to recall. But yes, I've certainly been enjoying playing it and the Roll20 character sheet is great for managing all the little uh, moving parts there and uh, I imagine makes it a lot easier to run than if we weren't using Roll20. But at the same time, it's not unintuitive. I'd get to grips with all the little moving parts soon enough. But what I've really been enjoying is Dave's hack of Electric Bastion Land. It's got this sort of Firefly borderlands with a sprinkle of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy madness. I'm just having so much fun with the simplicity of the system. It really sort of melts into the background and you just get on with throwing yourself into that world. Yeah, just been really enjoying it. So thanks very much for that. Hold up. I just wanted to add that Edwin King has been doing some wonderful write-ups on his blog, Thoughts of a Depressive Diplomatist. Diplomatist? Diplomatist. Anyway, they're both spelt the same. And I'm just loving the write-ups of these sessions that I'm in, these Into the Odd Space adventures, and also Dave's Dark Sun hack. I've really been enjoying reading those session reports. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you, Edwin, for um, going to the effort of writing those up.
2: Hey, old Spencer, Shandy Andy here. Just Listening to your latest episode, where you were um, did a little bit talking about sort of merging science and fantasy into a setting, and it's something that uh, I found myself getting dragged into to be honest. Running my OSE Wilderlands because the Wilderlands is a science fantasy setting, but I've really come from a very heavily heroic fantasy uh preference, but I have been um. Making my Wilderlands and embracing the sort of science. There is electricity, the characters have come across, and there are some strange dwarves with deformities who can um, communicate over long distances. Who might well be in some type of um, uh, sort of where a nuclear explosion maybe has been in the past and the radiation is affecting them. Um, not that the party are going to find out because they've decided they're going to stay well away from those dwarves. And my players have just embraced the. Uh, Possibility of discovering a clockwork dog. They've been actually hired uh, given the location of where they believe it is and they just love the idea of having this clockwork dog that they could uh, Find in a sort of fantasy, effectively a fantasy setting, but they're now discovering has got some science uh, In it Uh, quite how I'm going to do that. No idea because it's a sandbox. So I'm prepping everything uh, Uh, The week before the game. So uh, I've now got to uh, become an expert on clockwork mechanisms, I guess. Um, But anyway, what I'm trying to say really is it's working for me. I am getting um, enthusiastic, really, about um, mixing uh, fantasy and science. I think it's good. I think it keeps the players guessing. It keeps me guessing as a GM, which is always good. Anyway, keep up the good work, Spencer. Shady Andy out.
0: Thank you, Shandy Andy. Shandy Andy there from Unguarded Treasure B fifty two. And um yeah, yeah, it's interesting that um the point you make at the end there about keeping things kind of fresh for the for the GM. You know, I do like that idea that the in some ways you're just another player discovering the world along with the players. Which is why I like this kind of emergent world approach because it would certainly interest me if I was running the thing to you know be as surprised as the players were with what was coming up and yeah this this kind of association of fantasy with the medieval I mean I realize yeah it you know goes way beyond that in in all directions. But this kind of uh, thing that D&D seems to have settled into in the past. I know there have always been things like um, Eberron and stuff like that. What's that, 3.5? And I'm sure there was stuff prior to that. I don't know enough about it, to be honest. But, yeah, just thinking about where this sort of European medieval thing comes from, I guess uh, you could... Point to Tolkien, uh, Greyhawk, as far as I understand it, was very much in that vein. Uh, But yeah, right back at the origins there, alongside Greyhawk, you had Blackmore. Now, I might be speaking out of turn here, but I'm pretty sure I remember someone talking about the fact that, you know, there were things like ray guns and stuff to be found what you were saying there about the mechanical dog, I mean, I instantly thought of L. Frank Baum and the Land of Oz. Mechanical creatures in there, you know, your Tin Woodsman and TikTok and all that. Doesn't strike me as out of place in fantasy at all. But yes, what I said in the previous episode, why limit your fantasy in such a way? And I, I guess... This kind of ties in with what's been discussed recently in the percentile about real world knowledge and I guess if you're kind of lost my train of thought but the real world knowledge discussion um, I suppose yes, if you are trying to give your world a certain, authenticity of uh, fleshing it out with knowledge about specific historic eras in a way to add flavor to bring it to life that's great but I guess, I guess that sort of real world knowledge can work in the other way in that you you know, you start worrying about... <laughs> and then this goes back to what I, I mentioned as kind of uh, the community sort of hovering around the same sort of subjects, but how lamp oil really behaves. I mean, you know, we're talking fantasy and, and if, um, I guess... I mean, if you're using that to make things more challenging because it throws up interesting situations, that's all well and good. But why should some fantastical elements be more acceptable than others? I guess, you know, you don't want to create jarring shifts in tone. That has more to do with internal logic, consistency, verisimilitude. Uh, thanks very much for those messages, Andy. Really appreciate them. But again, I feel I may have strayed from the point and uh, I'm not quite sure where I am now.
2: <laughs> is there's some lovely films down here...